Good afternoon to all of you. Nice to see you here, eager to learn meditation or to continue with meditation if you've already learned it. I'd like to tell you, first of all, why one should meditate. And if you have a good grasp of that necessity, Brand new. Yes. <laughs> then it will give you possibly a greater incentive to do it. Not as an on and off affair, but as part of your life. In the first instance, you have to look upon meditation as a training. In the second instance, meditation turns into the beginning of a spiritual life. Whether you're ever going to look at that in this way depends entirely upon you. But as a training, it is a necessity for mental well-being and mental well-being also implies physical well-being not a hundred percent not always but often have a seat <laughs> we all are capable and interested in looking after our body and all of us do it continually daily and we should to the best of our ability what do we do for our body well first of all we give it some decent food possibly even health food. We certainly will not give it anything poisonous to eat, and most certainly nothing that's dirty. And that's only right. The other thing that we do for our body, quite as a matter of course, is washing it and cleaning it. We don't want to walk around with a dirty face, nor do we like to walk around with dirty clothes. If this should happen, we'd certainly quickly go and change that, clean it. We also have some exercise for our body, even if it isn't an organized exercise where we do yoga or something, or jogging or something like that. We will walk from here to there. We will use our body so that it doesn't atrophy completely. And last not least, we put it to bed every night and give it preferably a good night's sleep. We also have a home for it with a roof over our head so that we're not exposed to the elements the heat or the cold, the rain, the storms, or whatever else may 
be unpleasant for the body. In order to do all that, we spend a lot of time getting sufficient money together to be able to do it. In fact, we might be spending eight hours a day on that, maybe six, maybe six days a week, maybe only five, but certainly a lot of time, energy, and interest in looking after our body in a way that it doesn't feel uncomfortable and doesn't give us too much trouble. It's all very well. And we need to do that. But what exactly what we're doing for our body, we also have to do for the mind. If we don't do it for the mind, the mind will atrophy. Most people's minds have a terribly difficult time to stay on one subject even for one second. As you will all find out, if you haven't in the past, when we start meditating. Those of you who have meditated in the past know all about it. I'm not telling them anything new. Those of you who might not have meditated in the past will find out. Who has never meditated ever in their lives? Oh, everybody has. Well, then you know all about it. That the mind cannot stay on the meditation subject for any length of time. Why is that? Because we haven't trained the mind. We haven't given it its due. We have taken it for granted. The whole world does that. By no means are we singled out in doing that. We are singled out in trying to do something about it. We are the minority. The whole world takes their mind for granted and let it play around as it wishes. Neither do people look after the food, the exercise, nor the rest, nor a home for the mind. It never occurs to anybody. Come on in and come over here. Come, plenty of room. Come sit over here. Plenty of room there. So we can make an analogy which is very fitting for looking after the mind in the same way we're looking after the body. And unless that becomes quite clear to us and we take it in and internalize that as a fact, meditation will not happen. If we didn't do these things that I've mentioned for our body, we'd find ourselves in a mess, wouldn't we? If we don't take a good rest at night, two or three nights in a row, we can't function. If we don't eat decent food, but dirty or poisonous food, we'll be sick. If we don't exercise the body, whatever limbs we don't exercise are going to atrophy. They won't be able to use them. 
somebody's ever been in a hospital for any length of time and hasn't been allowed out of bed, they have to start learning to walk again. If we didn't have a home where we are protected from the elements, we'd feel very uneasy and very uncomfortable. The first thing that we can look at is food for the mind. Health food for the mind is far more important than health food for the body. I'm not advocating not eating health food for the body, but the comparison is immeasurably far apart. The health food for the mind is the most important thing we can do. <clears throat> food for the mind, is that what we think? primarily. What we read, what we gain through the media, and our conversations. If we don't think of that as food for the mind, we'll take in anything that's going, and usually do. And a lot of it is very unhealthy. In fact, a lot of it is poisonous. And then we're surprised when our life is not peaceful and harmonious and when we see that other people's lives are also not peaceful and harmonious. And when people in high places make silly decisions, why shouldn't they? Their minds are not catered for either not even half as much as we cater for our body, not, on, not one quarter. That's the food for the mind. We have to learn to look after that. Our mind is a jewel. It contains the seed of enlightenment, which means the total loss of all unhappiness of all defilements, complete peace and complete harmony. That we can't get at that seed and make it grow has nothing to do with the fact that it's there. That we don't look upon our own mind as a jewel is nothing but a mistake that we make. We think we can use our mind for logical reasoning. We think we can use our mind to understand what we're being taught. We can use our mind for remembering certain facts, for making money. These are all features of the mind which are quite valid, but only in a worldly sense. And because we allow negativities to arise, we make scratches in that jewel. And if we scratch it long enough and deep enough, it will be very difficult to repair it. The quicker we repair it, the better. The exercise that we do and rightly give the body is something that the mind needs even more urgently.
a well-trained mind will never neglect the body. It will know enough to look after it. But a well-trained body does not yet know how to look after a mind. So when we exercise the mind by trying to gain more knowledge, that helps a little, but it has an ulterior motive behind it. I want that knowledge for some reason. I want it in order to use it for either becoming famous, rich, getting a job, impressing myself and others, whatever it may be what I want to do with that knowledge. Get a degree. There is an ulterior motive behind it, and therefore there is judgment. This is important, this is unimportant, this I've got to remember, this I can forget. The exercise that we give the mind in meditation is nothing but making it obey, making it stand still, dropping the thinking, letting it be, coming to rest. That exercise is difficult, even though it sounds so easy. Nothing to it. What could there be to letting the mind get rid of thinking? How simple it sounds, how difficult it is. <clears throat> and here we come to the part which may be the most significant in this analogy, namely giving the mind a rest. Ever since we've come around this time to be on this planet, our mind's been working. It thinks from morning to night, it dreams from night to morning. It doesn't get a moment's rest. Now if we have a very excellent tool, maybe an electric tool of some sort, very valuable, very useful to us. And we let that run year in and year out, day after day. It's eventually going to burn out, isn't it? It can't possibly keep going. So what do we do? We go and trade it in for a new one. Well, try that with the mind. Nobody's going to give you a new one. We've got this one for the duration. We've got to look after it. Letting it run continually and most of the time without purpose, as every meditator knows, is a waste of time and energy. And there is no regeneration of strength. Just as the body has to lie down and get a rest to come up next morning with renewed energy, the same for the mind, it's got to have a rest. That doesn't mean falling asleep. That's not a rest for the mind. That's a rest for the body. The only way the mind can get a rest is in meditation when 
it becomes concentrated without thinking. When we are capable of dropping our thinking process, getting to the point of peace and quiet. That is our way of regenerating the strength in the mind and eventually having enough mind power to penetrate the relative reality in which we live and see an absolute reality. Without the strength, the muscles of the mind, that will never be possible. As long as our mind is concerned with worldly affairs, as it has to be at times, and never removes itself from that, it will always understand worldly affairs. But how can it understand an underlying absolute reality which goes far beyond worldly affairs and transcends all that what we believe to be the personal truth in which we live? So we need, first of all, a regeneration of energy in the mind. And we need to get in touch with another level of consciousness, which is far removed from our everyday affairs and has no duality in it. The duality of liking and disliking, yours and mine, good and bad, <coughs> tomorrow and yesterday. This is our everyday consciousness. Constantly opinions, standpoints. This is okay, this one isn't. I'll have this one, I won't have the other one. Constant opinions. How can we ever have peace? So we have food, exercise, rest. Okay, we also need a home for the mind. We've worked all day in the office and come and know that you can now go home, have a nice armchair, and rest at home. Who's resting? The body has gone home, sits in the armchair, and then what does it do, the mind? It regurgitates the whole day. What he said, what I should have answered, what I will answer tomorrow, what she did, and so on. We've all done it. So has the mind come home? <coughs> Where is the home for the mind? The mind can only find a home if it can touch upon the inner purity which all of us possess, which is overshadowed by our attitudes, viewpoints, judgments, which result in thinking. We all have that inner core of peacefulness, which is a reason to make people come to meditation. Whether we have voiced it, known it on a conscious level, or just on a subtle, unconscious level, that there must be something more to this human life 
then getting up in the morning, having a shower, eating breakfast, going to work, getting upset about this and that, coming home, eating dinner, watching TV, going to bed, getting up in the morning, and so on. There must be something else. And we try to find that something else in many worldly affairs. And it never pans out, does it? There's always a fly in the ointment. And we think that if we could just get rid of that fly, we'd be all right. But if we've tried long enough and have seen enough of the realities of life, it will dawn on us that there must be something else. And that's when we start trying meditation. It's a good enough reason. Any reason is good enough. It doesn't matter. If we keep going, we'll get to the right reason anyway. And when we start on meditation, we usually have the idea that we now want to get something. We'd like to get some peace and quiet. We'd like to get some happiness. Who's going to give it? Where is it to be found? Anybody seen it around? We've got to generate it. We've all got it. And we can only get at it by letting go of all the rest of the stuff. And this is where the difficulty lies. So getting a home for the mind means that we go inside and actually touch upon our inner being where there is no thinking, no judgment, no duality and dichotomy, where there's nothing but the experience of peacefulness. When we are at work during the day, and we know we can get there, everything is much easier. It takes time, energy, perseverance, patience, and determination to train the mind to the point where it will do that. We also have to do it regularly. Most of us eat three times a day and go to bed every night. So, what's wrong with meditating twice a day? It has to become part of one's everyday schedule. Because we realize that without it, first of all, we won't touch upon that inner peace. And the training will never happen if it's just an off and on affair. We don't look after the body once a week. We don't wash it once a month. We do it continually. We consist of body and mind. And of those two, mind is the master. I've tried mistress before, it doesn't sound right. These are words of the Buddha that we can prove to ourselves very simply. If your mind hadn't told you to come here this afternoon, you'd still be at home. The mind told the body to get up and go. And so it went. So we have an analogy between the two. And because the body is visible, 
touchable and we are aware of it all the time we're quite happy to look after it and yet the mind has just as strong or a stronger impact on us because look at it this for a moment if there are pains in the body discomfort hunger if the mind does not react to it there's nothing absolutely nothing it's the mind that's telling us the body wants this or that and if the mind was trained not to react it wouldn't in pali the word meditation is bhavana which means literally translated mind training and this is what we need to do we need to do it for our own benefit but also for the benefit of everyone around us the pollution of our environment is far worse through the negativities of our minds than through the rubbish we throw in the rivers if our minds were not polluted our environment wouldn't be either the best thing we can do for ourselves and everybody else is to cleanse and purify the mind the whole of the spiritual path is a path of purification and meditation has a built-in purification system now just as we wash this body in our clothes every day the mind needs washing even more it needs to be cleansed and purified of its defilements if we are concentrated for just one moment that's one moment of purification because we can't do two things at the same time either we can think of something or we can be concentrated when we're concentrated on the meditation subject all negative thoughts are eliminated for that time so we have a built-in purification system this purification of course has to be supported and strengthened through our daily attention to our mind i will explain that more in detail at another time but i will now detail the way we can learn to pay attention to our mind in meditation we have a meditation subject we're going to use the breath i will explain that in a moment and as we use the breath as every meditator knows the mind wanders off somewhere else it doesn't want to stay on the breath it has all sorts of ideas what it could do in the meantime this is natural and it's nothing but a matter of time it's a lack of training that's all if we want to train for the olympics we've got to keep on doing that we want to swim very fast we've got to do that every day 
and one day we'll do it. It's the same with meditation. If you want to train for meditation, we've got to do it for quite a while every day until we can master it. As the mind wanders off to its ideas and wishes and hopes, we learn to label the thought. Give it a label. Future, past, later, hopes, memories, ideas, dreams, nonsense. The first label that comes to mind is the right label. Don't try to find the perfect label. There's nothing perfect in this whole universe except an enlightened one. So we won't try for perfection. First label will do. This teaches us many things. First of all, the minute we have labeled the thought, you will notice that the thought breaks up. It disappears. Because we're no longer the thinker. We are now the observer. And this is what meditation must teach us, to become an observer of ourselves. So the thought disappears because we have labeled it and we are able to go back to the breath, even if it's only for a moment. For beginners, you won't be able to catch every thought. Never mind. As many as you can catch, that's fine. Beginners will also find that they'll sit there and all of a sudden realize that after five minutes or ten minutes, they've been thinking all the time. And they've all disappeared, meanwhile, those thoughts. That's fine. You label the last one and see the impermanence of all those thoughts. You can't even remember them. They're all gone. That, too, is an important aspect of training the mind. So labeling shows us that when we're no longer the thinker, we're the observer, and we can change from the, mind, from the thought back to the meditation subject. In daily living, we can become the observer of our thinking. The more we have trained ourselves in meditation, the easier it is to observe our thoughts in daily living, label them, and change from the unwholesome to the wholesome as often as possible until it becomes such a habit that we can't do anything else. And inner life becomes harmonious and peaceful. This is the first benefit you can get from meditation. <clears throat> Getting to know the mind in such a way that you realize you don't have to remain with that thought. It's totally unnecessary. In meditation, in the beginning, people often think, well, I've got to finish this problem now. I better think about it but they realize that the whole thought process is getting away from them. There's no way of finishing that problem. And after a while, it becomes quite clear that the only thing to do is to get back to the meditation subject. If we use this ability to label a thought and do that in daily living, we will find that our thought processes change to the point where they become less defiled and much clearer 
because we are an observer of them we no longer allow the mind to play every game it does we are taking a hand in it and not letting it just happen another thing that the labeling does is it helps you to realize <coughs> your habit habitual thought pattern the same things are going to come up again and again and you see that you're stuck on something now here again the labeling helps changing to the meditation subject however it is possible that someone will find themselves stuck on a particular thought process something which is very strong at this point in time one usually finds that it's something that one desperately wants and can't get look at it if you can't change to the meditation subject look at the thought and question it why am i stuck on it what is it i want that i can't get when you get the answer then question the answer question every answer you get until you may be able to come to the bottom line the bottom line is always the same ego there is no other bottom line and if you can't get to that bottom line never mind get as far as you can and then question the next time again that only applies if you have a such a strong thought that keeps on interfering constantly and makes it impossible to even return to the meditation subject for a moment that sometimes happens it's not the uh, majority of people but sometimes one or two will have that problem this getting to know our thinking processes is a very first benefit we can have even without becoming concentrated the second benefit we will have is getting to know our reactions as we sit on the floor those on chairs won't find that so much but can also notice it possibly but as we sit on the floor there will be discomfort everybody gets discomfort and they will notice it and the immediate reaction is to change the posture to become comfortable again and from that it's very easy to realize that this is how we spend our lives trying to get away from that which is not comfortable by any means usually by changing something outwardly rather than changing something inwardly and if you've meditated long enough you will know that doesn't matter how often you change your posture it's still going to be uncomfortable and that's exactly true for life it doesn't matter how often you change your partner how often you change your diet how often you change your job or your living quarters there's still going to be discomfort outward change doesn't mean a thing it's a momentary relief and this is what we learn here through the discomfort in the sitting position that we try to get away from it we want to remove ourselves from a situation which is not 100% comfortable this can apply of course to our emotional situation too here it applies to a 
physical situation. The way to deal with that during the meditation is to become totally aware of that and then realize that the minute we take our attention off that and put it back on the meditation subject, the discomfort has disappeared. Which means that we learn right then and there that we only experience that where we put our attention and that it's up to us where we put it. We don't have to put it there where our comfort or our discomfort is clamoring for it. We can choose. When we choose our reactions, we will eventually become master of any situation. And we're no longer threatened by anything that happens outside of us. Knowing that we can take our attention off the discomfort and put it back on the meditation subject gives us self-confidence to do the same thing in daily life. Everybody can do that once or twice or three times. If the discomfort in sitting becomes too strong and the mind says, well, this is all very well, but I don't have to get enlightened the first afternoon, change the posture. Change it gently and change it slowly for that not to disturb your own mind and not to disturb your neighbor too much. And admit to yourself at that time that you've become a victim of your own unpleasant feelings. Perfectly all right. We're constant victims of our unpleasant feelings. That's why we go and find some relief for it. That's why television is so popular. We do it all the time, but we never admit it. Here, we admit it. And that makes a lot of difference. Because what happens is that we get to know ourselves. And to get to know ourselves, is really the main feature of the beginning of meditation. You can't hope to become immediately concentrated. There are those rare people, one or two in a thousand, who do become concentrated very quickly, but they're so rare it doesn't bear to talk about them. Most people take time. So in that time, of trying to become concentrated and get peaceful and find that home for the mind where it can rest. During that time, we gain insight into our thought processes. We do not accept them as they are, but are able to change, and we gain insight into our own reactions and know what we're doing. And as we use those insights that we gain in meditation in daily life, daily life takes on a different dimension takes on a dimension which is expansive. It is no longer narrow and circumscribed by outer conditions. Getting up, eating, going to work, and so on. No longer circumscribed by that. We may still do exactly that. But the added dimension is our attention to our inner life and our understanding of our own thinking and reactions. And that added dimension makes life not only far more interesting,
far more valuable, but it helps us to keep an even mind, even in unpleasant circumstances. Our meditation subject will be the breath. We watch the breath as it comes in and out of the nostrils. There are four different ways of using a crutch so that the mind is more able to stick to this movement of the breath. Anyone who has meditated a long time, what's a long time, from three years on upward, can just watch the breath as it goes in and out of the nostrils and has probably done so. Anyone whose meditation has not been concentrated should use one of the crutches which I'm now going to explain in order to gain a little more concentration. Eventually we let go of the crutches when we can walk without them naturally. But eventually we will also let go of the meditation <coughs> subject because we don't need that anymore either. So first of all, it's the breath that goes in and out of the nostrils, but we add to it either counting. If you like numbers, count. One on the in-breath, one on the out-breath. Two on the in-breath, two on the out-breath. No more than ten. If the mind wanders, has thoughts, always go back to one. Never try to figure out what number you were at. That becomes a numbers game then. If you don't like numbers, prefer words. Use a word like peace. Peace on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. You can use two words. Love on the in-breath, peace on the out-breath. Filling yourself with love, letting out peace. But always use the attention on the breath in conjunction with that. Don't just count. Breath and number, breath and word. Pick one. If you don't like numbers, you don't like words, maybe you like pictures. Some people have a mind that visualizes easily and preferably. Think of the breath as if it were a cloud, a cloud which comes out of the nose and expands outside and then goes back in and reduces mm. itself in size. Make the cloud a beautiful color, gold or white, if your visualization extends also to colorization. If you can have technicolor visual visions, that's fine. If you don't like clouds, use an ocean wave. The wave that comes out and the wave that goes in. Like a wave that is actually in the ocean. Always in conjunction with the breath that goes out and the breath that comes in. Never just the picture. And the fourth possibility is using physical sensation. 
as the breath goes in there is a physical sensation first of all at the uh, nostrils when the wind of the breath hits the nostril then as it goes further in it goes along the nose there's also can be a sensation if one is aware of it then it may be a sensation in the forehead then maybe in the back of the head in the throat in the lungs as far down possibly as the stomach you don't have to look for anything in those places you just watch how the breath goes in <coughs> and naturally expands the body you feel fuller with it in and emptier with it out just become aware of the sensation following the breath in and following it out again breath and sensation you pick <coughs> one of those four possibilities as your crutch and stay with that through this whole session we will have another meditation session the second part of this and then if the first one didn't work and if you're new to meditation i can assure you it won't then try another one method is method by any name nobody has to be fanatical about a method we can use as many methods as we know about but if we know too many will try out too many so it is better to at least give each one a whole session <coughs> and not change horses in midstream posture we put up have them parallel and the feet solidly on the ground do not lean back against the backrest unless you have an um, back ailment sit up straight in the chair with the back um, separate from the backrest the uh, sitting on the floor the back should be straight but not military straight straight and relaxed the hands can be on the knees they can be together in the lap whichever is more comfortable for you the head straight we close the eyes if you feel yourself getting sleepy sleepy open them quickly move the body give yourself a pep talk like i can sleep at home i didn't come here to sleep i i really want to meditate close the eyes again if it happens again do the same thing over again anything is better than being drowsy or sleepy <coughs> in meditation because it's only a short time in every uh, session that we use for meditation and when we first start relax the body relax the shoulders relax the stomach and the neck and relax the mind let everything disappear from it whatever happened before you came here it's all in the past it doesn't matter anymore whatever's going to happen after you leave here well let it happen you can't speed it up anyway be here now with the breath before we start our meditation is all that quite clear 
Would you like to ask any questions? Yes. Sorry. How long will we be meditating now? Um, 30 minutes. And then we'll do a guided, medit- guided loving kindness meditation after that. Is it, are the instructions clear or is there any question or uh, difficulty about anything? We'll do a guided loving-kindness meditation now. This is also an important part of the meditative procedure because this is directed towards our emotions and we need to direct our practice towards our thoughts and our emotions. We have both. So while we were watching our thoughts, getting to know our thinking process a little better, maybe even getting a little concentrated, we will now use the meditative procedure to direct ourselves in a certain way towards emotions which are helpful for purification. In order to get started, please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. And now imagine that you have a beautiful white lotus flower growing in your heart which opens all its petals until it's fully open. And a golden stream of light comes out of the center of that lotus flower and fills you from head to toe with warmth and joy and love and surrounds you with contentment and a sense of well-being in which you can rest. your attention on the person nearest you in this room and let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to that person and fill him or her 
with warmth, joy and contentment and surround him or her with a sense of well-being and being loved. Open your heart wider and let the golden stream of light reach out to everyone here, filling everyone with warmth and joy and contentment, surrounding everyone with your love. Think of your parents, whether they're still alive or not. Let the golden stream of light from your heart reach out to their hearts, filling them with warmth and love, surrounding them with gratitude and appreciation. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to their hearts, filling them from head to toe with warmth, joy and contentment, embracing them with love, without expecting the same in return. Think of all your good friends and let the golden stream of love from the center of your heart 
reach out to them, filling them with the warmth and sincerity of your friendship, with joy and contentment, embracing them with love. without expecting them to do the same to you. Now think of your neighbors and the people you work with and those you meet here and there on the street, in the shops, in the bank, in the post office. Whether you know them or not. And let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart reach out to all of them giving them the gift of your heart, the warmth and the joy, embracing them with love. No difference to your friends and your loved ones. They're all part of your life. Think of anyone in your life whom you find difficult to love. And realize that this is an obstruction in your own heart. Try to forgive and forget. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart Reach out to that person also, filling him or her with your warmth and your compassion, giving that person too the gift of your heart.
Think of all the people whose lives are far more difficult than ours. They may be in hospital, in prison, in refugee camps. They may be crippled or blind, without food, shelter, or friends. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart grow and expand to reach out to all of them, of which there are many, filling them with the warmth from your heart, your love and compassion. So they can feel that there's care and concern. Now put your attention back on yourself. Let the golden stream of light from the center of your heart fill you from top to toe. With the joy that comes from loving and giving. With contentment comes from right effort surrounding yourself with a sense of appreciation and well-being Now let the golden stream of light go back inside the lotus flower which closes its petals. And then anchor the lotus flower in your heart so that it may become one with it. May beings everywhere have love and peace in their hearts. 